And the song that we sing is the Lord. Amen. He is our song. We sing it to him and we sing him because he is our song. Uh, when the Lord called Moses, um, that's what, uh, I'm sorry, no, it was, it was uh, yeah, Moses. He said, the Lord is my song. I think Abraham said the same thing. This morning, I know that um, on our hearts should be, and many of our hearts are heavy with what's happening in the Ukraine. So would you just join me for a few minutes of silence as we all lift up, not only the Ukrainians, but a lot of the Russian soldiers too. They, they, they're just cannon fodder. I mean, I don't think um, Putin cares if they live or die. So let's, let's just take a moment in silent prayer and lift them up. Lord, we're so thankful for the word that declares what the enemy means for evil you can use for good. And so, Lord, we pray in, these, in what is a desperate time for many Ukrainians and Russians, Lord, that you would draw their hearts to you, that many would be saved in the midst of the conflict, that they'd cry out to you. Uh, we thank you for those who are reaching out and helping as, the, as so many flee across the borders for the, the churches that are opening their doors and people that are willing to help and meet the need there. We just pray your Holy Spirit would be in the midst of it all and that people would know that you are there in the midst of the storm. Give them peace and give them comfort. And we pray for resolve, a quick end to it, Lord. May it end quickly. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning as we look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we know that it's inspired. Um, we don't always understand its application, but we trust that your Holy Spirit can make an application to our hearts. So be with us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I believe we are from verse uh, 17. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read the passage? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 17. 17 to 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. 
Were you a slave when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. I love the zeal and passion of new believers. And we've been seeing some of that lately, and it's just, it's so inspiring. And in our passage today, God's giving uh, new belie- some new believers who were, were zealous about uh, um, changing their whole life because they'd found Jesus. He's giving them some advice. You know, the joy and wonder of being born again can result in in some misguided enthusiasm. And it seems some new believers wanted everything to be new, including their occupation. So the Apostle Paul gives them the spirit-led advice to remain in the calling with which they were called. Verse 17 again, only let each person lead a life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So remember that this passage follows the suggestion for the married, those married to unbelievers to remain in the marriage unless the spouse departs. So Paul's continuing with this thought of remaining um, in the condition that God has placed you when you come to Christ, in the circumstances that he sovereignly um, set for your life. In verse 17, the word each is used twice. I know some translations don't have it, but in the Greek, it comes out twice. Let each and to each. God deals with each one of us individually. He he has a vocational calling for each one of us. Later in this letter, we'll see that the gifts are assigned by the Holy Spirit to each person. Each person's uniquely gifted. That's, that is a calling relating to and blessing others as the gifts are the, for the common good of the body of Christ. The vocational calling is also for the good of others, but usually in the secular realm. Unfortunately, today in, in our culture, we've become so focused on self that we look for our vocation and even gifts of the Spirit for something for me, about me, uh, something that I want. Most people have lost this concept of serving others at the leading of God's spirit as a way of finding satisfaction and fulfillment. Now, besides the first use of the word called in verse 17, all the rest of the times that word call or calling is used in this passage is referring to our salvation. Life in Christ is not dependent on any physical thing. Our identity, fulfillment, and security are all in the call of God to be a child of God. Man is restless and always seeking something different. Once we come to Jesus, we need to learn to let the life of Christ be manifest in our lives. This is the big change that needs to take place in every one of us. We'll be striving toward that goal until we see Jesus face to face. 
our hearts must adjust from self-seeking to God-seeking. Whether single or married, lawyer or laborer, we must learn to let Christ be manifest, let his life be manifest in our present status and circumstances, whatever they may be. In other words, let Christ be manifest in the particular life to which you were called, or we could say where God has placed you. It was particularly difficult in many trades in th this particular time that Paul's writing because every trade had its own God. You know, if you're a metal worker, you had the metal working God. If you made idols, you had the idol making God. If you were textile, you had the textile God. And so when you came to work, you were expected to light some incense and put it on the altar of the God of the trade in which you were employed. And so Christians, of course, couldn't do that. And so when they came to work and refused to light the incense, if anything went wrong that day, if sales weren't good, guess who got the blame? It's those darn Christians. They didn't burn the incense to our God. Our God's angry. And so that was used as a, so a reason behind a lot of the persecution that happened in that time. The mockery we receive is nothing compared to what they had to deal with. It was outright persecution, but every trade needed a witness there amongst them of the life of Jesus, the change that he makes in our lives. Every trade had people searching for the truth and every field of employment has the same need today. Verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So we, when we read at the time of his call, now again, understand that this means the time when God called the person to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this emphasizes the fact that, that Jesus calls us to himself. We don't seek him unless he's already at work in our hearts, drawing us to himself. For many of us, we can remember that exact time when we heard his call to believe and we surrendered our lives. Our occupational calling is surrendering who you are, where you are, to his love, ready to serve, eager to learn. Because God is the one who sovereignly placed you where you are and gave you the, call, the vocational calling that you have. He did that because of the plans he has for you right there. It's not like when you came to Christ, God went, oh no, he's a carpenter. What am I gonna do with him now? You know. He did that because he has plans for you in that field. It might not be comfortable because people knew the old you, but the witness is seen in the changes in you. That's the power of the witness. We are to be ready to answer when people ask of the hope that lies within us. Watch for those opportunities. Realize that it is by God's design that you are where you are in the occupation in which you are employed. There are people you'll meet there to whom God has ordained you to be a witness. God may move you on, but grow first where you're planted. This is what the apostle is saying. God's sovereign 
It's not a surprise that he called you in the occupation he has called you. It was his plan. You'll know when he wants you to make a change. Realize your fulfillment is not in the job itself, but in your relationship to God and how it is expressed in that job. That relationship affects how you influence the work world. You know, between the ages of 25 and 65, a person works 96,000 hours. We can walk with God, keeping in step with the Spirit, and we will be investing our lives in that area of influence in which God has called us for his glory. One time, uh, back in the days when they used to read electric meters, you know, they used to actually come to your house and read the numbers. <laughs> uh, I noticed uh, the guy from Arizona Public Service was kind of there for a long time. He was down on one knee. I thought, I wonder what's wrong. So I went out to talk to him, and I said, is anything wrong? And he says, no, I just take a moment to pray for every house where I read the meters. I thought, wow, he gets this. He understands that God can call a meter reader and give him a ministry in that job. And you may have heard how Kathy prayed for those on her mail route <laughs> and had opportunities to witness to many of them. I have a dear friend who was a chiropractor. He would ask every patient if he could pray for them and for how God would have him deal with the problem. And, you know, very few people would say, no, no, that's okay, I don't need prayer. Almost everybody says, sure, I need prayer. I want God to show you what's wrong with me. I want God to show you how to fix me. And you know what happens when you pray with somebody? You bring them into the presence of God. It's powerful. Look for those opportunities to pray for people. If you walk with the Lord, people will notice the difference. That is your testimony. And it'll open doors to share about why you're different. Luther understood that the Christian is genuinely bivocational. He's called first through the gospel to faith in Jesus Christ, and he is called to occupy a particular station or place in life. The second sense of this calling embraces all that the Christian does in service to the neighbor, not only in a particular occupation, but also as a member of the church, a citizen, a spouse, parent, or child, and worker. Here the Christian lives in love toward other human beings and is the instrument by which God does his work in the world. Now I know some of you are retired. That means you have more time to be versatile. Now I hear some retirees say, I'm busier than I ever was. <laughs> well, yeah, but you get to choose what you're busy doing. You can be a witness in a club, in a homeowners association, or helpful to your church's ministry, or even volunteer to assist in mis missions, as Kathy has done. Some of you ladies are a real blessing in helping preparing food for Wednesday evening as we feed the homeless and, and the young adults. Your loving help is a witness to them. And some of you are helping with Bible studies, and I really appreciate it, because I already do four a week. There's no retirement from Christian service. 
if I ever retire from preaching, I know God's going to have another place of ministry for me to advance the kingdom. Verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. For the Jews, circumcision was the distinguishing mark that set them apart from Gentiles. When a Jewish man tried to fit into the Greek culture, he would try to hide the fact that he was circumcised or try to surgically make it appear that he wasn't. So as important as that was to the Jews, Paul says outward ritual and signs are no longer significant. Circumcision represented Jews being in a blood covenant with God. And our blood covenant God was with God was sealed in Jesus' blood on the cross. That's the covenant that brings us eternal peace with God. Paul was dealing with the Judaizers, those who, who wanted to make the Gentile converts be circumcised and to keep the laws of Moses. But Paul says it's all unnecessary. The commands of God that Paul's telling us to keep are Jesus' commands of the new covenant, to love God with our all, our neighbor as ourselves, to love one another, to share Jesus when God gives us the opportunity. He's not speaking of the Levitical laws or he would endorse circumcision for the Gentiles. Jesus is the end, the completion of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes as Paul declared in Romans chapter 10, verse four. Slavery now today isn't, isn't a problem in our culture except in the sex trafficking industry and we want them to find freedom. We might in, instead of this expression say, if you had gang tattoos before you were called, don't seek to remove them by laser therapy. Or perhaps we could ask, were you in a dry Orthodox church when you were called? Maybe God has you there to breathe a fresh air and to show the genuine zeal for the Lord. Your presence may revive the church or at least encourage others to go deeper in their faith. And if even one person sees the change and knows that it is what they need to, it is worth it. Of course, you should find a small group where you can grow and be nurtured as well. The principle here is that wherever you are, when you came to a real relationship with Jesus of Scripture, see what God wants you to do right there. You aren't there by accident. Of course, there are some situations that are a temptation or, or just plain ungodly, and in those cases, you will be a witness by leaving However, for most people, where you are is the place where God wants you to be a witness of his life and love. Verse 20 through 22, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. If you're a bondservant, serve your master as you would serve Jesus, Paul explains in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter six. This was when a person had sold themselves into slavery because they had a debt. So Jews would sell themselves for a seven year period of time to get to pay off the debt. And they were 
basically considered the lowest persons in, in society, in the culture. But Paul says it doesn't matter. You're the Lord's slave. Work as unto the Lord, and the Lord will reward you. You're freer than your master who is a slave to sin. They would sometimes have the opportunity to pay off the debt and be released from service or, or would be given the freedom because of their hard work and their faithfulness or some extraordinary deed. Paul says if they have that opportunity, go ahead and take it. That's, of course, the exception to remaining where you are when you were saved. I suppose you could relate it to working for a boss who uh, is very difficult and doesn't allow you to speak about your faith. If you have an opportunity to work in a better environment where you're freer to share, then take that opportunity God sets before you. We're often tempted to complain about our situation. If slaves, whose time was almost entirely consumed by obedience to their master, could serve the Lord with joy in those conditions, then how can we complain? Amen? No matter how difficult your occupation, it can't be as difficult as the first century Christian slaves. A free person should consider Jesus to be his or her master. And of course, this applies to all of us today. We want to do his will. Our own desires can enslave us and keep us from doing what's best for us and for God's glory. We're freer when we are in submission to Christ. And while we don't deal with that kind of debtor slavery, the idea of being free to obey Christ is the same. The emphasis is that in whatever we do, we should be glorifying Jesus in the way that we do it, rather than being enslaved to selfish passions. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the apostle says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Sometimes we think that if we're retired or supported by others, only then can we be in full-time ministry. But the biblical perspective is that every believer is a minister in their individual calling and occupation. Jesus was a builder for most of his life. Do you think he wasn't ministering then? Think about that. Of course, it may have been more subtle, but how could you be, how could you not help but be influenced by the way he spoke to you and the way he did his work? And he is our example. Do all to the glory of God as bondservants of Christ, and people will be influenced. Just this last week, someone told Mariko and I how we had affected their life. We had no idea. I'm just bumbling along trying to God, do God's will and too often falling short. But God takes our willingness and the desire in our hearts, and he does more than we realize, some of which we'll only hear about in heaven. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become the bondservants of men. He repeats what he said in chapter 6, verse 20, almost exactly here. And when the Bible repeats itself, it means we need to pay special attention to it. The first use was that our body belongs to the Lord regarding sexual purity. And now he's saying that the body belongs to the Lord for physical service. 
Jesus' blood was the payment that freed us from the slavery of selfish demands so that we could be free to serve him. I think that this also applies to financial debt because in Proverbs 22.7, it tells us that the borrower is slave to the lender. So when we spend beyond our means, we're trying to serve two masters between our personal desires and God. Jesus said, you can't do both. It seems Paul is saying more than to not sell yourself into slavery. That would go without saying. So in addition to avoiding debt, I think it implies not being unquestionably obedient to any man. In that culture, having an influential sponsor could elevate your status in society, but it could come with a lot of implied personal compromises. When we give up our spiritual discipline and discernment by following um, whatever one, whoever, or whatever the individual might say, we're being spiritually lazy. Cults gather followers because it's easier to rely on someone else's relationship with God than having our own. A set of rules or instructions are easier than a continual walk with God correcting and directing our lives. Don't be anyone's slave because you belong to God. I am not my own. That is a mindset that's difficult for us to take hold of, especially in our culture. Yes, God has given us freedom and will let us do whatever we want, but at the same time, he purchased us. He paid our sin debt. What kind of life should we be living when we realize this? Should we just act on our own whims? Shouldn't we be checking with, our, with God, our master, before we act? I find he's incredibly gracious and generous. And so much so that I forget to check with him before I make decisions. We do that to our own loss. His will is always best for us in the long run. Verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Paul's repeating what he said at the beginning of this section and in verse 20. You don't need to change your occupation when you come to Christ unless it's incompatible with Christian life. We should remain in it with God now directing us. Learn to serve God where you are until he calls you elsewhere. For a long time, I've dreamed of Christians in every field of work in Sedona. Imagine people coming here and they're looking for, as we know many are, looking for spiritual answers and insights. And we have what they're looking for. Amen? I imagine them booking a room and their host is a believer the devotional book sitting in their bedroom. At breakfast, something is said about the Lord. And then they go on a Jeep tour and their driver is a Christian. They ask him about their red rocks and he gives them the company answer and then he gives them the biblical answer. And the conversation gets a little deeper. They go to lunch and what do you know? The waitress is a believer. They ask her about vortexes and she starts to share her testimony about how she came for the vortexes only to find Jesus. 
And then they go uptown shopping, and what do you know? The clerk starts up a conversation with them. He finds out they're spiritually seeking, and so he invites them to Jesus in the house or the Sunday service. And they attend, and they're touched by the Holy Spirit, and they fill out a prayer card, and, well, you can imagine the rest. Jesus is following them around town, inviting him to himself. You see how we need people in every field? Notice our last verse ends, let him remain with God. Whatever your conditions or employment when you come to Christ, the important thing is that you remain with God. He's the one who makes all the difference. For both Moses and Joshua, others in the Old and New Testaments, the most encouraging word from the Lord was, I will be with you. I know some of you are in environments where the Lord's not honored. His name is used as a swear word. You are seen as very strange when you don't join in with the crude jokes, but that's exactly where you need to be. That's where the light of Christ needs to shine. God is with you. He promised to never leave you or forsake you. I think most of us as believers think how nice it would be to work with Christians and live in this Christian community and not have to deal with worldly people. But we forget that we live in a spiritual war. If we want to glorify God, lay up our treasure in heaven, we'll want the heat of the battle. Like, like Joshua, I'll take the mountain. We want to be the light in the darkness. We want the thrilling joy of knowing Jesus has touched others through our lives. We're called to fellowship with God, to serve our Lord Jesus, and to be a witness to mankind. Let us pray that God will help us be willing and faithful to do so for his glory. Amen? Amen. Jill's going to lead us in a closing song, and then I'll give the benediction.